There are some hymns that are worth you learning, and that is absolutely uh, one of them. Now, what inspired that hymn is the psalm we're going to look at this evening, Psalm 87. And if you uh, turn to the book of Psalms, it's entitled of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush, and will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Now imagine, and you may not need to imagine, because you may have just walked in off the street if you're visiting here, but imagine you have just walked in, you're not used to going to church, Uh, we look at this song, can you imagine, and as I said, maybe you don't need to imagine, because maybe these are your thoughts, how, Zion? What's that about? I've heard of Zionists, am I amongst a bunch of Zionists? What about Rahab and Babylon and Philistia and Tyre and Cush? What does that have to do with Brody Ferry and Charleston and Fintry and Stobswell and Blair Gowrie and uh, Fife? What's that got to do with anything? What's that got to do with, with Scotland or with me? Well, the, the Psalms are, for me, the Psalms are just absolutely marvelous and they are the songs that God has given us. And this particular one, it's, it's, it is unusual, uh, I'll certainly grant you that, It is unusual, but it is very, uh, very encouraging and very stimulating. And uh, for me, especially, I can explain why that is. But think of it this way. As we enter a new year, where do we put our hope when the foundations are being shaken? Some of you, it's no problem. Your foundations are not being shaken and everything's fine. But for others, the foundations are being shaken. Some, your foundation is in your work, and that's been shaken. It, you, you, you don't value it as much as you used to, and you're not, you don't feel as valued as you used to. For other people, one of the most foundational things that can ever happen to be shaken is your health. You, you've always been healthy. You've always been relatively strong, apart from the old cold and then that all gets shaken with a really serious illness. And a family, you have a, a stable marriage, you have stable parents, and then your whole life gets shaken. You're a child, your parents uh, divorce. That, that shakes your life like nothing. Your partner is unfaithful to you. That shakes your life. You discover things about those who are closest to you which really shake your life. The foundation in your family gets shaken. Or the nation, you used to be very sure about what it was. You knew what it was to be Scottish. You knew what it was to be British. Um, And now you're very confused about what is happening. It seems as though the nation is being shaken and the nations are being shaken. And people get scared when the foundations are shaken. I've never been in an earthquake, 
But if I was in one, I'm used to the ground not moving beneath my feet. If it did, I would, uh, I'd be very shaken by the whole thing. The nearest experience I've ever had to that was being in a tent on the west coast, which nearly got blown away in a force 10 gale. And that was actually quite a scary uh, experience, running around trying to keep the tent pegs in and thinking I was going to be blown away with it as well. Well, another foundation that often gets shaken for people is both the church and their faith. And here, this psalm is telling us of the church as a foundation. And I think many of us don't want that. We've we've been hurt by the church. We've been wounded by the church. We are confused by the church. There's so many messed up things going on in the church. And yet I would say that the church is absolutely foundational. I'm so thankful for this church, for the fellowship of God's people here. But our our foundation or our our faith uh, and our security can be shaken. And I, I want you to see how this psalm shows us that the church is a a great foundation for us to have. It is the pillar and ground of the truth. This song is a song of the sons of Korah, um, who wrote several of the psalms and wrote them for worship within the temple. Probably here, a song of pilgrimage as the pilgrims go to the temple in Jerusalem. John Newton, as we saw in his hymn, made use of verse 1, and especially uh, verse 1 and verse 7. And it's possible that verse 1 and verse 7 are kind of instructions to the musicians, but they are also instructions or teaching for us as we sit at the Lord's table this evening. And just two things to remember. It's a song about, it's a psalm about the city of God. Verses 1 to 3, glorious things are said of you, city of God. Man's rebellion began in the garden, and man's first corporate rebellion, if you like, was in a city, in the Tower of Babel. Man's rebellion will end in a city, the new city, the city of Jerusalem. Revelation 21, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Cities are great places. The city of Dundee is a great place. I'm very thankful for the city of Dundee. I'm from the Highlands, and I guess from the background that I come from, the city of Dundee is a remarkably big city. You know, it's the big smoke. And then uh, I remember one of our Chinese students was up at the manse, we were having a meal, and afterwards one of our other students said to him, how are you coping with the big city of Dundee? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm coping quite well. I don't think it's that big. And they said, oh, how big is your city? And he said, 25 million. <laughs> That's Shanghai. Um, Joel is now back there in Shanghai as well and doing well. But uh, cities are places that sometimes we might feel very afraid of, we might be scared of, but they're also places of great stimulus and and great excitement. I like being in the country, I'm a farm boy, but I also love being in the city. And I think this idea of God's city, 
What's that referring to? Now here, it's obviously referring to Jerusalem. It's referring to the mountains. He's founded his city on the holy mountain. But it's one, as, as we will see, as the New Testament looks at this, that describes the church of God. God is the founder of this city. God loves, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. He's founded his city on this holy mountain. Jerusalem, when it became David's capital, was already a city, had already been established for uh, several hundred years. Um, there's, there are some very, very interesting books about Jerusalem. It's an absolutely fascinating city. David made Jerusalem his capital, and he made it his foundation, or he's saying here that God had made the city of Jerusalem that foundation. When we think about the church, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. He is the rock. He is the mountain on which the church is built. Now, what the psalmist does here is he uses language and imagery that, that is repeated throughout the Scriptures. So these glorious things that are spoken about this city, and I am talking about this as the church of God. Isaiah 2, for example, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The Lord will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, you can, and there are people who would argue that this does mean the literal city of Jerusalem and that the temple will be rebuilt and everything else. But the temple was destroyed. The tribes of Israel were, were spread apart. Only Judah remained. And even then, they were scattered to the ends of the earth. God has brought them back. So we now have the, the Jews back in Israel. And we have Jerusalem there as well. But what is this referring to? He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I think it's talking about the city of God and the city of God as is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why was Jerusalem in the Old Testament special? And why is the church of God today, the Zion of today, why is that special? Because Jerusalem was the place where the Lord called his people together for praise and prayer and the hearing of his word. And it was centered on the one altar of sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And that is the same today. You make a fatal mistake in your Christian life if you think, I can do without the church. If you think your faith is, it's just me. Or if you have this general idea of the church in general throughout all the ages, glorious as it is, but you don't really see that. It, it, it is, for me, a very disturbing thing when so many Christians, 
almost understandably have become disillusioned and battered and, and, and want to stay away from the church because it's had poor leadership or because it's, you disagree with it on some things or because the church is so often in a mess. And we, we tend, especially in an individualistic society and especially when we don't like being hurt and when we've been hurt, we tend to withdraw, we tend to curl up, we tend to be very, very prickly. But here, the church is being celebrated. The place where God calls his people together for praise and prayer and the hearing of his word. I love the city of Dundee in many ways. But I tell you this, much more than the city of Dundee, I love this church. I love being able to gather together with the people of God in worship and in praise And I know all the arguments that people say about, well, I praise God wherever I am and I pray all the time. Well, I don't. I I need the people of God and the public worship is just such an encouragement and blessing and boost to our faith. So here, I think this song celebrates the church, not the denomination, not the building, but the community of the people of God. Isaiah 14 verse 32 says this, the Lord has established Zion and in her his afflicted people will find refuge. The church should be a place of refuge and I hope it is for you. I hope you will find it as that. The devil will always want to come and and point to you the ugly side of things and there is an ugly side. The church is filled with sinners and sinful people. And church often gets things wrong. But it is the Lord's church and the Lord has established Zion and it's in her, his afflicted people, will find refuge. Now verses four to seven explain more about why that is because it's, it's the, the song of the city. And notice the names that are mentioned. Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre and Cush. Why them? And why can we sing about them uh, with joy? And what does it mean for us? Rahab was Egypt. Babylon, between them, they were the first and the last great enemies of Israel. They were the, the great nations that threatened to crush tiny Israel. Philistia and Tyre were their nearest neighbors. They were England and Northern Ireland. Um, well, maybe England's Babylon. I don't know. No, I better not go there. Um, but Philistia and Tyre were the near neighbors. One was a thorn in the flesh, Philistia. Oh, it's just such a hassle. And the other was fiercely independent. And then Cush was Ethiopia. And in the context of, of the psalmist or the psalmists of the sons of Korah, Cush was the island of Lewis. It was, it was the end of the earth. It was miles away. It was the, the, the end of the civilized world. Now, why are these names mentioned here? Because what's being said is that the enemies of Israel and the hostile neighbors of Israel and the people who are far away will become part of this city. Calvin puts it wonderfully, I think, when he says, what a glorious distinction of the church that even those who hold her in contempt shall come flocking to her from every quarter 
and that those who desire to see are completely cut up and destroyed shall consider it the highest honor to have a place among the number of her citizens and to be accounted such. And so you have a man named Saul who traveled throughout Israel to imprison and attack those who followed Jesus Christ. And he ends up proclaiming Jesus Christ. We have many, many enemies in the church. There are people who, who um, even today I got a rather vicious um, email from somebody and uh, because I was preparing this, I smiled and I thought, you know, maybe one day you're going to be proclaiming Christ as loudly as you are now attacking him. That's the church. God works amongst the enemies of the church and often brings people to a living and saving faith who are utterly opposed to Jesus. That's why he says they were registered. I'll record Rahab and Babylon and say, will say, this one was born in Zion. They're like a newborn baby. You know, you, when it comes to tomorrow night, somebody's going to have a baby about one minute past midnight and you know what's going to happen. They'll be in the courier the next day as the first baby uh, born in uh, Dundee. And then when a baby's born, you go and register it. You register where that baby was born. And there's nothing to take you away from that. Every time I go down to England, I'm on the train, cross the border, get to Berwick-upon-Tweed. I know nothing about Berwick-upon-Tweed, but my birth is registered. I was born there, so I'm English, really. And, you know, that, it's registered. It's said that I was, I was born there. I, I can't say I was born in Edinburgh or Dundee, much as I might want to be. It's registered where they were born. But what's being said here is this. Take the, the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah wished to populate the new Zion, the new Jerusalem. And in order that, for that to happen, he, he wanted the people to prove they had a birthright to live there. So Nehemiah 7 verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. It, it had been decimated. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. And then there follows a list. You had to be registered that you were born in Zion. And yet this psalm is saying, this song that was due to be sung in the temple, or as people were going to the temple, it's saying that people who were born in Rahab and in Egypt and in Babylon and in Tyre and Philistia and in Cush, it's going to be written about them that they were born in Zion. Revelation 3, 5, the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. In Isaiah 4, 2, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When you read the Old Testament, you see that these, these lists of names and, and places is so important to people because it's, it's identity, it's who you are, it's where you were born, it's who your people are. And what this song is teaching is not, well, you have to be born in Jerusalem, 
but it's saying that it will be recorded that you are. What does that mean? It means that you're natural citizens, real citizens. Michael Wilcock puts it this way, it cannot escape our notice that to know God, to acquire a second spiritual citizenship, and to be born again are all New Testament descriptions. I I wasn't born in Jerusalem. I'm not a Jew. I'm not of the tribe of Judah. I'm not of the tribe of Benjamin, like Paul or Saul was. But he says to him, that's rubbish compared with being born of God. And I think it, it it is a wonderful thing that God's church does not consist in national churches And God's church cannot be for particular groups of people, for for middle-class people or white people or black people or poor people or whatever. There's just one church, and all those whom God has called are recorded as being born there. And that's why verse 7, it's such a a strange but a a wonderful verse. Uh, Verse 6, rather, the Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. And that's just saying once you're a Christian, you're registered, you're born in Zion, you're part of God's kingdom, you're part of the heavenly Jerusalem. But it's verse 7, I love verse 7, as they make music they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Perhaps this is an instruction, perhaps this is a title, but I think it reflects other parts of scripture like Ezekiel 47, the whole of that chapter. Or Psalm 46, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Or as Jesus spoke of it in John 7 and verse 38, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Every every city needs water. Jerusalem, in the midst of a hot and dry culture needed water. And God is saying, well, Jerusalem was provided with water with underground springs and there's a river that runs through it. But in a spiritual sense, what we're being taught here is that God brings life to his people and God brings life to his church. We're sharing with someone this morning Um, talking about different churches and how a church can have an appearance of Christianity and spirituality. But you sense there's, there's just something wrong. It may not even be outrightly heretical, but there's just no life in it. But God brings life. Rivers of living water flow from within them. It's an extraordinary statement. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water. Most of us as Christians, we don't feel like that, do we? We feel, I mean, you're entering this new year. Sometimes we just feel so dry, so shriveled, so empty. But God promises, no, rivers of living waters. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. These people had come, uh, and again, the church is like this. They'd come from different nations. They'd come from hostile nations. They'd come from far away and from near. And again, for me, that is the absolute beauty of the church. This morning, as we 
We worshipped, I forgot to mention that Callum was here from Romania, but people from California and from uh, London and from elsewhere. And in the coming weeks and months, we will have people, well, someone here this morning as well from Spain, we will have people come from all different parts of the world, many believers, because God has overcome these distinctions with people from many different backgrounds. And we will also have people from many different beliefs. This is not the psalmist saying, well, the Egyptians are going to come with their gods and the Babylonians with theirs and Philistia too and Tyre and Cush. And we just all get along with one another. It's saying, no, they're coming to worship Zion's God the creator of the heavens and the earth. They're coming to worship Jesus. It's all these people renouncing their former beliefs and saying that their only hope is in Christ. So I am incredibly optimistic about the church of Jesus Christ. I cannot say that I'm optimistic about any denomination, including um, the free church. I'm not. I can't be optimistic. I can't... I guess at times we could even look and we could say, can we be optimistic about St. Peter's as we go into the new year? Well, yes and no. No, if we're relying on St. Peter's as being the foundation of everything and the church, which we are not. But yes, if we say that we're a church that seeks to worship Jesus, that goes by his word, and that recognizes what is said here. We're a church that is open to people because we believe that God can bring people from many different backgrounds. Uh, In recent months, there have been people who've been Muslim, Jewish, atheist, people very messed up and very confused, people from a cult background, and yet God has brought them to hear his word, and he can work in their lives. Zion is a place of glory. Zion is a place of stability and security and new birth and diversity and joy and freshness. I think that your image of the church, your experience of the church, is very often one, many Christians would say this, that it's instable, insecure, death not diverse, gloomy, not joyful, and stale, not fresh. But this is not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, though all hell break loose against it, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's funny, some of us think the church is the most unstable place to be and we flee for refuge to other things. But actually, the church of Jesus Christ is the most secure and stable place to be. We sang Newton's hymn, Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to assuage? Grace, which like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. Newton wrote that hymn. If you... um, If you're one of these people who think, do you know, I wish I could have lived in John Newton's days. The church was great then and things were so much better. You should go and read John Newton because he sounds like you today. 
he's complaining about how the church is desperate and things are terrible and so on. And you know this, every Christian writer that I read from the past says more or less the same thing. I'm reading John Owen just now and he's talking about the disaster that's coming upon the church in Britain. Well, we're still here. Reading Chrysostom, he's talking about the disaster that's come upon the church in Greece and throughout the Roman Empire. There's always enemies, there's always assaults, there's always confusions, there's always extraordinary attacks. And that's because the the devil hates the church. And the world hates Jesus, and because it hates Jesus, it hates his church. But the church of Jesus Christ will always prevail. So I have no fear for St. Peter's. I have no fear for the church in Charleston. I have no fear for any church which seeks to follow Christ in his word, and weak and sinful as we are, yet we come and we receive grace from him. And so we know that we are in a place of stability and security and new birth and diversity and joy and freshness. Please do not give up on the church of Jesus Christ. And may this church be a place where music is made and where we sing all our joy, all our fountains are in God, are in Christ. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? We're here tonight in Dundee, 30th of December. To be honest, it's quite a gloomy time of year. Christmas is over. We know that the shortest day has been, but it takes a long time to get to spring and summer. It's cold, and there's an awful lot of misery about, and... Here we are, we're gathered, and we're a relatively small group of people. What have we come to? We've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. They're recorded in, this one was born in Zion. We've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You couldn't be in a better place than worshiping God amongst his people. You couldn't be in a more secure place. You couldn't be in a more joyful place. May God bless his word to us. Now we're going to sing that psalm. Uh, We're going to sing it to the tune, Love Divine. On Jerusalem's holy mountain, he has founded his abode. More than all of Jacob's dwellings, Zion's gates are dear to God. Uh, Stephen will lead us in singing that, and let's stand to sing. To take communion, what we're doing is we are sitting at the Lord's table. We are receiving from him the symbols of bread and wine, but also receiving a blessing from him through these uh, symbols in uh, um, the olden days in the free church, you used to have a token that was given to you that you could show that you were a member in a church and you were able to sit at the table and you'd hand your token over. Often people would come and sit forward at the table and you'd give your your token. Uh, There was a, 
a man, an old man on the island of Lewis who was uh, a very fine and godly man, and, but he struggled with literacy amongst other things. Sometimes people thought of him as a bit of a simpleton, but he wasn't. And one time he turned up at a, a, a communion and he was asked, where is your token? And he just said very simply, Christ is my token. And he was right, of course. Christ is our token. So you are to sit, you are to partake of this if you have given your life to follow Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, if you're not yet a Christian, if you've not been baptized into his church, or if you have been disciplined by that church, then can I say, please don't take um, the bread or the wine and just seek the Lord's face and seek that his, his forgiveness. But if you are a believer in Christ, then this is for you. This is his table. I received from the Lord, says Paul, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he is going to come. And what we partake of just now is, is real, but it is only a foretaste of the feast that is yet to be. So let's just bow our heads and give thanks. We thank you, O Lord, for your body broken for us. We thank you for your blood poured out for us, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. <coughs> we thank you for the strength and the forgiveness and the grace that we receive from you. And we pray, our God, that as we share together, that you would bless your church, that you would build us up, that you would encourage your people, and any who as yet do not know you, that even through observing this, that they would be drawn to you. Lord, let each of us be able to say that because our name is registered as born in Zion, because your Spirit has been at work in our lives, that all our fountains are in you, and that we seek our strength and our forgiveness and our joy and our peace, not from ourselves, but from you. We know that we are not worthy, but we come in the name of the one who is supremely worthy. Amen. If I could ask the elders to come, and um, if you've not taken communion with us before, the bread is passed around, please to take